peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. The text for the message comes from the Gospel reading. Let us pray. O bread of life, fill us as we and strengthen us as your children to have you at the center of our lives. And as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, as I was looking over the readings and preparing for my sermon today, I thought, you know what? I think we're going to need to talk about Jesus calling himself the bread of life. (laughs) Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, you've heard this conversation for two whole weeks already. And here we are once again, Jesus referring to himself in this way. While it might be fun to explore the theme for a third week in a row... I think I want to focus on one particular verse, verse 66, where Jesus tells us that after this big discourse where the disciples are grumbling and Jesus' answers are not pleasing the crowd, there's this observation. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's not easy. Domitian was the Roman emperor from uh, 81 A.D. to 96 A.D. Historian Pliny called him a beast from hell who sat in his den licking licking blood. In the book of Revelation, John, the writer, may have referred to Domitian when he described that beast from the abyss who, who blasphemes heaven and drinks the blood of the saints. In his day, uh, he did a lot of good. He repelled invasions from modern-day Romania, uh, something that later emperors had difficulty doing. He was also a master builder, a keen administrator, uh, one of the best that governed in the empire. In fact, a Suetonius, one who actually hated Domitian, uh, had to admit that he took such care to exercise restraint over the city officials and provincial governors that at no time were they more honest and just. But it wasn't always rosy. There were some things that were wrong with him. He enjoyed catching flies and then stabbing them with pins. Uh, He liked to watch gladiator fights between women and dwarfs. There was also wild beast hunts, gladiatorial contests by torchlight, competitions to the death between infantry and cavalry. He took the Colosseum, which was built by his father, and he flooded the basement uh, so he could act out a naval battle. During his reign, he was so paranoid and suspicious of plots against his life that the number of imperial spies and informers grew rapidly, as did the number of casualties among suspected Roman officials. He was the first emperor to have himself officially titled in Rome as God the Lord, insisting that other people hail his greatness with acclamations like Lord of the Earth, Invincible, Glory, Holy, and Thou Alone. He had ordered people to give him divine honors, and Jews, no doubt Christians, pushed back. The persecution of the Jews is well documented. Christians, uh, not as much, although there are some accounts, but this beast that the author of Revelation describes, as well as the events in his book, are best interpreted as allusions to the persecution of the church under Domitian. In 95 AD, his consul Flavius Clemens was executed. His wife, uh, Flavia, was exiled at Domitian's orders, and many historians suspect that this was because they were Christians. It's not easy following Jesus. 
Now, I realize that there are some areas of the world where being a disciple of Jesus is a matter of life and death. But life today is not like the early, in in our country, is not like the early persecutions. But it still can be difficult to be a Christian, to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So often it seems that the Christian is the one that's the odd one out, right? Uh, uh, The Christian is the one whose values are uh, just different to everyone else's. The Christian is maybe that weirdo they believe who still believes that stuff about Jesus and waste so much time and energy and, and money on, on their faith and on their church and, and when they could be doing so many more things for themselves instead. In a world where everything is centered around me, right? And everything revolves around having my needs met and my desires and my happiness for fulfillment met. There's not a lot of room for a religion focused on some guy named Jesus and about serving other people in love. That kind of faith system is different from the world today. Being a follower of Jesus has been difficult right from the very start. At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus says he feeds the 5,000. That's 5,000 men, so uh, I could easily say there's probably men, women, and children, probably 10,000 or more. And so we have these enthusiastic followers whom he feeds with a boy's lunch, right? Five loaves of bread and two fish. But by the end of the chapter, he's left with just the 12. And we know that one of them is going to betray Jesus. Everyone else had found the teachings of Jesus and maybe a little bit too difficult to accept and, and believe. And, but what was it that they found too difficult? Well, Jesus told them to focus their faith and their trust and their life on him and him alone. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Now there's a sort of a double difficulty here for the listeners of Jesus' day there. I mean, they know this man Jesus from Nazareth. That's where he comes from. And yet he claims to have been sent by God the Father, that he is a a provider, a giver of true bread, uh, that means he is one with God. And if that's not hard enough, he's now saying that if anyone wants to have life, I mean, life that's real, life that is everlasting, life that is never-ending, then they, they need to turn their focus on him. He said, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And I will raise, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, for this crowd that had been following Jesus through these various towns throughout the chapter, that's just a little bit too much. Uh, They were used to something that focused on what they did, how well they observed the rules, how how often they went to synagogue, how, how well they avoided doing the wrong thing. Their religion had become so much about what they did, about their works, that the sudden switch to a faith about being something besides them and truly being about faith in Jesus of Nazareth. That's more than they could handle. In addition, many followed Jesus for the wrong reasons. Perhaps for selfish reasons. I mean, they had seen him feed so many people. Well, here's a good way to get easy food, right? Uh, and he's healing all kinds of people. It's an easy way to get quick healings in your family. 
Maybe they didn't honestly care too much about Jesus. Maybe they only worried what they could get from him. For the last few weeks, we've been reading from John chapter 6, starting with this miracle of the feeding of the large crowd of people. We saw them follow Jesus and the disciples from town to town. Uh, uh, Even when they went across water to another town, they, they would follow him there. And in this reading, there is that sad passage. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And at that point, Jesus turns to the twelve. What do you want to do? You don't want to leave too, do you? And at that point, we get this bold confession from, uh, about Jesus when Peter declares, Lord, basically, where else are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's no getting away from the gospel writer's determination to tell you and me that Jesus Christ is at the center, that he's at the the focus of everything in the life of the believer, the disciple, the child of God. John's gospel is just so Jesus-focused, especially the way he describes Jesus' miracles, his signs and and retelling these I am statements of Jesus that, that one can't help but realize that it is all about Jesus. It always has been. When Jesus, the bread of life, lives in you, when he is the center and core of your being, you will have life. And that's precisely what Jesus' listeners found so offensive. Today, it's no easier following Jesus. It's not easy to follow Jesus and and respect others when it seems that there is so much... uh, 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 around in our, in, our, in our culture, whether it's abuse or bully, bullying or harassment. It even happens in, in Christian churches and in Christian schools and Christian universities. It's not easy to stick up for Jesus at a time when anyone associated with Jesus is just considered a little bit off or a little bit strange. It's not easy to follow Jesus when you, when you say you went to church last weekend while everyone else is talking about their great camping trip and their great fishing trip. It's not easy to follow Jesus, to keep from joining in all the the sordid jokes that everyone else considers quite normal. It's not easy to follow Jesus in your marriage when there's so much out there looking to try to pull you apart. It's not easy to follow Jesus when you take a stand for God and his word and your livelihood or suffers or you lose your job. It's not easy to follow Jesus and spend time with him in his word. And in prayer, and people just think it's a waste of your time and energy. It's not easy to follow Jesus and make him, time with him, a priority. When the world sees time with Jesus as something that you, you, you schedule whenever you might have some free time, if you're not doing anything more important. It's not easy to follow Jesus and be generous in giving when it seems like everyone else is telling you, Look out for number one. It's not easy to follow Jesus and be content with what you have when everything out in the world, advertisers and and publications and celebrities and our culture, all geared to drive us to want more and more and more. It's not easy to follow Jesus and his ways when the larger part of the community doesn't understand where we as believers are coming from when we hold to a view of life that, that... that confronts us and challenges our our ways at every turn. 
It's not easy, is it? It is difficult to have Jesus at that center, that focus of our lives. On, on the other hand, it's, uh, it's not too difficult to take the Christian faith and twist it around a little bit, right? Turn it into something totally different, something that quickly becomes selfish, something that becomes self-centered. Or we disguise that faith with the right words, but in reality, it's just like the world, more about us and less about Jesus. It's easy for us to fall into that trap that so many people did when they were following Jesus, reducing everything down to that simple question, what's in it for me? Luther defines sin as the heart curved in on itself. And I think that's a good description, curved in on ourselves, focusing only on us, more interested in what excites us, what what thrills us, what turns us on or what leaves us cold, what meets our needs or our wants. When, When we go down that road all too often, we find that we're left separated and alienated from Jesus. That's the sin that afflicts us today. Our hearts are curved in on ourselves. It's difficult to follow Jesus today because we live in a world whose very heart is curved in on itself. A world that places serving oneself as the priority over and above anyone or anything else. A world that sees the love and sacrifice of Jesus as just irrelevant. A world whose self-centered ways are in conflict with the self-giving way of Jesus. Following Jesus gets difficult when our, when our vision gets blurry and we no longer distinguish between God's ways and the world's ways and soon we're not aware of how far we traveled away from Jesus. A part of being what God intends us to be is really to forget ourselves. But, <clears throat> but that's not too foreign to us, is it? I mean, isn't it true that, that when you're in love, Part of the joy of being in love is that you find yourself, your thoughts, your time, your actions consumed by that person you're in love with, right? I mean, we find ourselves thinking about them all the time. Uh, Every waking moment, sometimes our sleeping moments, are preoccupied with that one person that we love. Eventually, if the relationship continues to develop, we find ourselves no longer thinking in terms of I and me and and you, but rather in terms of us and we. If you really think about it, that's sort of what happens in our relationship as a believer with Jesus. By God's grace working in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit connecting us to Jesus, connecting us to his death, connecting us to his resurrection, we find ourselves being drawn out of, out of ourselves and into Christ. With Jesus at the center of our lives, we're less focused on ourselves. We find that we are thinking less of ourselves and more about others. Our needs to seem to grow smaller when we're thinking of the needs of others. The love of Jesus Christ calls you and me on the most important journey that we're ever going to take. It's, it's a long, countercultural journey that takes us outside of ourselves and toward the true center of our being, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Creator. Now, I say it's countercultural because this self-forgetting uh, attitude flies in the face of what the world tells us to do. It's a journey outside of ourselves but because it's outside of our sinful nature, our, our selfish nature, because that wants to be the true focus of our attention. It's a lifelong journey 
of making Jesus Christ the heart and center of our lives. To continue that analogy of love, when we love someone, we can never say, well, I'm in love with someone because I get great things out of the relationship. Uh, Whatever I ask they're going to do for me, I can use them to get whatever I want. Now, you and I both know that's not love, is it? Love that loves someone in order to get something out of that person is not love by anyone's standards. But isn't that how we think about our relationship with Jesus or even the church? Getting so self-focused and and so concerned only with what we can get out of it that we really don't care about anything else or anyone else or even the relationship itself. It's not easy following Jesus. It can be difficult. Being that disciple, that child of God in the world around us screams at us to look out for number one. Being difficult to be the person that God has called us to be and and letting that love of Christ rule over everything we say and do and influence our choices and our attitudes. It's difficult to fight the attacks of Satan who's going to twist those things to make our selfishness seem just just the right and only thing to do at any given moment. And to hold together as the body of Christ when self-centeredness breaks the bonds as if it were nothing. It's not easy. But it's not impossible. It's good to come here in the presence of Jesus and know that his grace and love and forgiveness are real and true. It's good to come here to worship him and him alone. It's good to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship together, to sing together, to pray together, to serve together, to give together, to confess together, to forgive, be forgiven together, to hear the word together, to cry together, to laugh together, to encourage one another together as one. From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You know, there, there may be a lot of times that you're not going to get the answers that you're looking for when you come to church. Maybe you might not like the hymns or the songs or the way the music is played. You might think it's too loud or too soft or too fast or too slow. You may go away with more frustrations and anxieties than when you, when you walked in. Some people may even irritate us. But you know, that's really not the point. It's not easy following Jesus, but it's possible when he is at the center of everything that we think and say and do as, as, as a child of God, as a congregation of God's people. We have come here today in the presence of Jesus. We have heard him speak his word. We have heard that our sins have been forgiven. We are going to come to his table and taste his sacrament. And at the end of it all, we stand in awe and wonder of these undeserved and generous gifts. And we can reply, as the disciples did, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, I I think I, I do need to make a correction. It is not easy. But it is easier. When we stand and have Jesus at the center of our hearts and minds and lives. Amen. Please rise.
And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.